If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, James. We're in the study of James. You're newer with us today. We've been going through the book of James for a few weeks now and looking at, at, uh, at this great book, a very hard-hitting book that's got a lot, of, uh, a lot of powerful message to it. We're in the fourth chapter, and we're looking at just five verses today. And uh, so I'm going to try to stay on a timely way today and, uh, <laughs> and stay with those five verses and try to hold you myself to that. And uh, I want to talk about one of the things. Let me, let me just read this section. It's just, just five verses. Let me read it to you. And, then, and if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you got there, you can follow along with it. And uh, James says, now listen. In some translations, it has there, come now. Uh, listen, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why do you not know uh, what will happen? Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, it is the Lord's will. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the, the good and he ought to do that he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. This sort of doesn't really conclude the chapter. It really kind of moves on over into another hard place in, in, this, in this book. Uh, as I was thinking about uh, this this week, I also got thinking that when I get up here to preach on Sunday morning, uh, it is between two scary days. Halloween has passed, and election day is coming. Um, I have a little bit more fear about one of those days <laughs> than the one that's passed. And uh, uh, I hope those fears are not realized. But we don't know. But James says, we make our plans. And uh, Michelle and I, this is our first time we've worked together from slides. And when you're not regularly in the pulpit, we have to kind of figure this out a little bit. So James said, today, tomorrow, you go to the city, spend a year, plan a business and make your plans. Uh, this, this little sign was on a billboard uh, that came up. If you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. Um, I was talking to John about this this week, and John told me that Woody Allen, of all people, the comedian, uh, this, this, is his, this is from him. He's the originator of this, this statement. I'm amazed, Woody Allen, of, of all people that have been in a lifetime of battle with God. He is so correct. I will say that about Woody Allen on this statement. If you want to make God uh, laugh, just tell him your plans. Now, when we talk about plans, there's always, there's always a tension in our plans and moving through that and trying to make the right plans and trying to do the right things and trying to, trying to feel like you're, you're, you're in God's will and doing the plans. Uh, make a little connection with this, connection with this, and I'll come back to that in just a minute. A couple of years ago, my daughter was on a mission trip to uh, Central America, and so she sent me this... Uh, uh, I don't know, I guess you call it a necklace, for lack of words. And uh, what it is, is an alligator tooth. And I call her and I said, okay, I got the alligator tooth. What's, what's that all about? 
And she said, well, Dad, she said, uh, some people think here in Central America that if you got an alligator's tooth, that gives you special strength, and it also gives you great protection from alligators. It has not worked on the special strength part of it, but I have never been harassed by any alligator since I've worn this. <laughs> and uh, I, I feel totally safe about alligators stepping out day or night. And, uh, uh, but as I got thinking about this, in this particular scripture here, it has sort of a little interesting flip to it. He comes back and he says, I want to, he, he comes, almost harsh words, it sounds like he's saying, I want to I bring to your attention about your planning. And then he says, and when you do your planning, what I want to say to you is, I want to say to you, you need to say, if it's the Lord's will, when you do your planning. And then it's sort of a flip there. I watch people through the years that they kind of end up being that as kind of a, uh, just a, a kind of a phrase, like uh, stitch in time, staves nine, all to say, uh, if the Lord's will, if it's the Lord's will, it's the Lord's will. We're going to get back to the Lord's will. But also I noticed that uh, you, you can, these things, you know, they, they, some people call them uh, uh, tals, tals, uh, uh, talismans or, or amulets. And uh, by the way, a talisman or an amulet, if you wear it, the, the, the history behind it is that it's connected to some kind of spiritual power that if you wear it, it protects you from some kind of evil forces that are out there. And... Uh, uh, and, and if you really want one really badly, you can go to Amazon, because Amazon knows all about this. And, and you can get boatloads of different talismans that will protect you from anything that you are afraid of. I'm sure they got one for you to wear. And they'll sell you for a good price. Uh, but, but also, I got thinking about that, how, how much this, this thing we think of as something that's far out there in some kind of past generation is very present in our present generation. And, and how many times I've seen a guy hit a home run, and as he's coming around third base, he pulls something out of his, out of his sweaty jersey and kisses it. And the way you do that, remember, you tuck your left arm as you go around third base, and you put your hand up. It's, it's, and, and as LeBron James, as he got the, 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 uh, the NBA trophy for his, his team, forget which team he finally won it. Maybe it was Cleveland. They handed him the trophy, and LeBron said, we have to remember the big man. I didn't think anybody was bigger than LeBron James. I mean, that's a big... Who, who is the big man? But, but you know, you could have just said, God. <laughs> but, but we get so caught up in our... In our celebrations and things, we, 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 it ends up being just kind of a, a road thing. We just get in, in, in busy with it. So James comes back here and he says, now caught up in life. And, what, and one of the interesting things here in, in being caught up in, in, in our plans is uh, we have a tension with what we want to accomplish in our life and what does God want to accomplish in our life. And there's a little interesting scripture that shows here in the of book of Ecclesiastes. And this little verse, it, and, and I've just kind of cut it a little bit short here. This is an interesting verse. It's in the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. This comes after that whole length of scriptures that we're, we're, 
where the writer says there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to be to laugh, a time to cry, all those lists of, of times of things in our life. Then he gets to this verse and he slips in and he says, and he, God, has set eternity in the hearts of men. Now, this idea of eternity is there's something beyond this life. And even though somebody may kiss the talisman and say, there's something beyond, there's something greater, and, and, and I'm experiencing it now, we kind of have this, we see it pop up in our, in our culture, this spiritual dimension from people who have no spiritual dimension or any interest in any spiritual dimension. It's just, I, I, there's something else cooking inside of us that want to cross over into to this spiritual dimension. And, and, and we will try anything to, to, when our fears to protect ourselves from this spiritual dimension. Like the song that we sang this morning. Uh, in, Jesus makes the darkness tremble. He's the most powerful source for our, for our fears. But, it's, but it's, it's, it's in us. And even the people that don't have any consideration of a God that's there... There's something else there because a life experience takes them beyond the actual physical uh, world that, that we're presently living in. And, and so this verse of Scripture points out, God has said eternity. He has set this deep desire in our hearts that we want more. And even though we can get, even the wealthiest people in the world are not content with just this earth. There's a something else more that we're craving and hungry for in all our lives. No matter what we're doing, there's something more that we want out of life. And, and part of the problem with, with what causes this is we, we, we get so involved in making a living, making ends meet, paying the bills, fixing the house, fixing the car, taking care of the kids, repairing the clothing, doing the wash, doing the dishes, preparing the meals, doing all the things of life, taking the kids to school, taking the kids to soccer, taking the kids to basketball. In those unguarded moments, we get so enmeshed in them that, that we are easily swept away in a lot of pursuits. Not evil pursuits, but just distracting pursuits. And we get so in, just so avalanched with them that we become disconnected to, you know, i, I got to have something spiritual. We just try to quick fix something to find the cure to what we need. So James is speaking to this in this section. And, and we'll come back to several sections in this. But the next thing, that's our, our life plans. But the next thing is planning is not wrong. Now as we look at this verse here that James uh, gave us here as we opened that up, now listen, who would say today, tomorrow, go into that city, spend a year, a year there, carry on business, and make money? Now if you just look at that verse, just break it down just a minute. James is not necessarily, or nor is he saying, planning is wrong. Most of all of you here, probably someplace in your life, in some school, some class, some point in your life, parent or someone probably said, you need to get out a piece of paper and write something down if you're going to get something accomplished. And James says the same thing here. You who say today or tomorrow we go to this city or that city. Today, that's getting on the calendar. That's opening up your phone and putting something on the calendar. That's putting in something. So that's a good thing to do. Where are you going to go? There's a destination. There's some, what you're gonna, where are you going to go to that city and spend a year uh, there? So there's a time limitation. These are just good business steps. 
There's nothing wrong with these good. The Bible's not talking about good business steps or good life uh, scheduling steps. That's, that's commendable for several reasons. I'm going to show you just a minute. But it says, and to carry on business. Carry on business is actually one word in Greek. It's where we get the word uh, emporium. We're going to go to an emporium. We're going to go to a place where we know there's going to be a potential for a good, uh, good living or good money to be earned there. They're not just going to go out in some distant place and fall off the face of the earth. They're going to go where the people are. They're going to go where the business are. And remember, the people that he's talking about here were in may, probably more in the Middle East. They were scattered people. They were disrupted. Life had turned them upside down. Just who knows how our life may be turned upside down. But they were disrupted, but there was still the drive to, to do business, which is okay to carry on business and, of course, make money. Now, the next scripture says, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 11 says, this is, now, first, the Thessalonian books were written about the same time period as, as James. They're very early New Testament books. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. So Paul's talking to the church at Thessalonica now. Now, this is a different writer, Paul. We have a book from James. Paul said, The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So somebody there was goofing off. Now, there's some discussion in the book of Thessalonians that comes out that since it was a book that was emphasizing a lot of information, a lot of questions being answered by Paul about Christ's second coming. God was going to come. So apparently some people got the idea, well, gee, if he's coming, I'm just going to sit down and wait for it. Paul said, no. You have a life to live, and you have a job to do, and you have things to accomplish in your life. Get with it. So he says, I hear that some of are idle and disrupted. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. I mean, what's a guy going to do between Paul and James? Don't go and make money or kick it and make money. Well, they're not, a, they're not opposed to one another. They're both saying the same thing here. It said, be responsible with your life. Be a responsible planner with your life. The next verse here. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessings of the Lord make one rich and add no sorrow with it. There's a good preacher's television preacher verse. Uh, blessing the Lord make one rich and adds no sorrow. Here's this, what this verse says. You can be wealthy and be happy. You can, you can be happy. You can enjoy life. There's no problem with money and enjoyment. Next verse, though. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. <laughs> What's that all about? Well, Jesus does not have any problem with a rich man. But the problem with this world is it gets stuck to us. And it gets inside of us. And I don't time here, but you read that first chapter of James, and, and when John comes back and opens up this fifth chapter, woo, there's a tension among the believers between the rich and the poor, the haves, the have-nots. Now we have a big problem of comparing ourselves with each other. It's a deep thing that we have because our focus is not on the plans of God, but they're on our plans. So he says, I tell you the truth, it, it, it is. He says, because you get, you get mired down. We got our new house. My daughter sent me an email. She says, I understand you closed your house. I said, yes, we did. She says, welcome to homeownership. 
and servitude. If you own an ox, Proverbs says, you got to clean the barn. The more we accumulate, and you do know, no matter what you may think, that's all goes on your 1099, on your W-2. You're rich in this room compared to the world. No wonder James is knocking on the door to us. Watch out there. Next verse. You adulterous people. Now that's pretty harsh things to say. You, you, I think most of us get the picture of adultery. You're committed to one person and you give your affections to someone else. That's adulterous affections there. Relationship. Don't you know that friendship with the world? Now, James is not saying don't be friendly. Okay. He's not saying that. Well, these Christians, they just put their nose up in their necks. No, it's not saying be unfriendly. There's, there's acquaintances, casual acquaintances. There's work acquaintances. And then there are intimate friendships. And you've got to understand what, Jesus, what, what James is saying here is, he says, it's adulterous to be so in love with the things of this world at the and, and, and bring them into your heart relationship in an intimate way where they become a friend of yours intimately, then you are being adulterous. Now, he's not saying there's a lot of things we can do and people we can be with and enjoy, but it's a difference. There's different levels of friendship. Not every friendship is at the same level, nor should it ever be. And that doesn't make you a bad person or, or unfriendly. It just means you're wise in understanding that. But with the with world is hatred towards God. Now notice this, this big hyperbole, this big swing here he's got here in this verse. Don't be a friend of the world or you hate God. Good night, James, aren't you? It's uh, uh, a little bit of exaggeration there. I don't, I'm not pushing it that far. But Jesus said, if you do not love me more than father, mother, brother, sister, you hate me. <laughs> and that's a tough understanding there. But with Jesus, he's using, a, uh, he's using this hyperbole, this, this expression for emphasis. You've got to come on board. Here, let me say it in case we miss this. If you love Jesus with your all, you love mom and dad best. If you love Jesus with your all, you'll love your wife best than she's ever been loved. And that's a hard thing to put together. But anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God, or do you think... Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live within us envies or is a, envies us intensely or is jealous spirit. God has a, is jealous for our affection and attention. He wants us to be focused on him. He wants us to be focused on, his, on, on our relationship with him because he knows when we get that in alignment, 
it will bring the best joy and happiness to ourselves and make us work best with others. Now, next verse of Scripture. Now, this is Apostle Paul. i got a couple of scriptures here. Apostle Paul, when you read the book of Acts, he's a busy boy in the book of Acts. Man, he is busy. But he says, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And so you can see this in many places in the book of Acts and other places. Next verse of Scripture. Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia, Achaia. I have been there. I had, I, he said, I must visit Rome also. And he doesn't say God's will. He doesn't run a talisman and say, God's will, God's will, God's will. No, it's not just words that we're saying here. This is about relationship. This is about a relationship with God that makes the difference as we go through our lives. Paul said another way in Philippians, but I trust, hope in God, the Lord Jesus Christ sent him to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when, when, uh, when I know uh, your state. So he didn't even mention, he just says, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm, gonna tr- I'm going for this. He didn't say God's will there because he was in God's will. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. All right. So what is wrong is presuming on tomorrow. Next verse says, why do you not know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You're a mist. The word here is almost, where you get uh, atmosphere that appears for a little while while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord's will, we will live and do this and that. As, as it is, you boast and brag, and such boasting is, is evil. Next slide. Now, we can, pres- we can presume on tomorrow we can assume that tomorrow is going to work for us. Let me share a few tomorrows with you. In 1865, it was Palm Sunday, and Ulysses S. Grant and Robert E. Lee met and signed the surrender papers to the Civil War. That was on Palm Sunday. Thursday that week, April 13th, 1865, Secretary of State Edwin Edwin Stanton made plans to celebrate the end of the Civil War. Big plans were planned in Washington, banners, all kinds of things were planned, dinners and meals. But that wasn't the last shot fired in the Civil War. The next day, Abraham Lincoln received a lead in his brain. The next evening, Good Friday. The next day was no longer celebration. There was no Civil War celebration. It was mourning. A young Navy officer and his wife were stationed at a small base in the Pacific. Beautiful place to start their life together. They decorated a little apartment, looked forward to an evening together. It was Saturday night, Sunday morning, sleep in, December the 7th, 1941. Changed the life of your parents. My brother was living in Georgia. He and his wife 
Their kids were living in the Northwest. They wanted to move to the Northwest. We told them, come up and stay with us until you can find a place. They moved in with us. It was Monday night, Monday night football. They actually had people in the stands. And uh, we hadn't watched football game together for a long time. We enjoyed the evening. Got up the next morning, Monday morning. There was a news flash on September the 11th. Time I got to the television, I saw the second plane hit the Twin Tower. That changed everything for us, this generation. Fires are sweeping through Southern California. The man heard the fires coming. He was advised to leave. He got up, got his dog, got his car, and started making his take-home, take-out list. He made it out with the dog, the car, and his list. If you were in Zimbabwe and you were a millionaire on Monday morning, when you got up on Tuesday morning, your million dollars was worth one buck. It's frightening to think that can happen to a nation just like that. Can happen to this nation. What can we take home from these scriptures? We have no assurance of how long or well we will live. Next verse of scripture You do not know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This scripture here is John the Baptist. This is what John said when Jesus finally appeared to be baptized. Now, John the Baptist, you may know John, a rugged individual, different guy, sold out to the Lord, 100% marching. His drumbeat was, was, was God the Father. When he saw Jesus, he says, I've got some joy. My joy is full. And then he said, I must, he must increase, Jesus. He, he must be the focus now. I must step back. He must get bigger in my life. I must be less. He must be bigger. I must be less. Now remember that John the Baptist was only about six months older than Jesus. So he had to be in his early 30s. And by the time you get to chapter 11, that young man lost his head at the sword of Herod over a foolish impulse in a drunken party by Herod. What a waste. And Jesus said in the 11th chapter, There was no man born on earth as great as John. Now he went on to say there, but I tell you, through the kingdom of Christ, more, all of us, can accomplish even greater works than John. Man, that's heavy. 
Next verse. James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And, J- and John said, I shall decrease, he shall increase. I shall decrease, he shall increase. Next slide. Humility toward God guards us from presuming on the future. The more we wrap our lives and minds and hearts around the Word of God and around Jesus Christ and putting Him first in our lives and humbly stepping back, the greater capacity we are going to have to not be presuming on the future. And we're going to be able to deal with the future that you and I have nothing to control and no way to control. And even though John lost his life, he gained eternity as a faithful servant who humbled his heart to serve God. We need to submit to the Lord's will in our life. Now, I, I, I shared this, in the, this this morning, and I try to edit it a little bit here. The key word here is we need to submit to the Lord. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Now, yes, but it's not something you say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, I don't know, I'm just going to grab my nose and take a jump. Lord wills, there's, there's conditions on the Lord's will. Over 40 years ago, I was graduating And when you graduate from college, you send out resumes to churches. And I sent out resumes to several churches. And churches tend not to be very responsive. (laughs) Too many committees. And uh, I got a note in my box at church that I was asked to come to the principal's or the principal, the, the president's office, and he wanted to talk to me. I went to the president's office, and and Don Boatman said, "Alan, I have uh, I've I've told the church at Iron Gage Christian Church in Joplin that you were going to preach there Sunday morning, and uh, I'd like to have you fill in there for preacher's gone." I said, "Okay." Now he knew something I didn't know, but he didn't tell me. And Jenny and I went to the church. And I preached. And the way that church was made is that you left off the pulpit and you went down and then you walked through the hall down below and you came up to the front door while the choir was singing and then you shook people out as they left and greeted them as they left. I didn't know anybody there, but I was greeting people as they were leaving. And most of the building was completely empty except one couple. And I was hoping that they'd leave quickly because I was getting hungry. And the couple came up to me and they said, um, uh, you're Alan Hannaford. I said, yes, that's who I am. And the gentleman said, my name is Howard Cummer. And this is my, Ruth, my wife, Ruth Cummer. And we're from Union, Missouri. And uh, we would like to know if you would go to lunch with us. We looked at your resume and we'd like to talk to you. I said, great. 
I left. I said, let me go my Bible. I left it up there. I'm going to run down to the hallway, and I'll, be, I'll meet you outside in the parking lot. I went down, went to the hallway, and a couple was coming down the hallway, just two people and myself. They said, are you Alan Hanford? I said, yes, I am. They said, great. I'm so glad you're going to come to our church in New York. I said, I know I sent a resume, but no one ever talked to me about coming to church in New York. He said, well, I'm sure that you're supposed to come to the church in New York. I said, well, I don't know. There's a couple upstairs from Union, Missouri. That's first. <laughs> then I was sitting in a library, and my roommate was beside me, and we were studying. but you're always glancing around on who walks in. And this girl walked in. And I kind of leaned over to him and I said, what's her name? He said, Jenny. He said, you want to meet her? I said, oh, I don't, I don't. He said something in Spanish to her and she came over. And I met her. So for 51 years, we've been meeting <laughs> Now, the key here is being the will of God. So next slide. What is God's will? Obviously, to come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and give your life to Jesus. Sometimes we simplify that by using a word called saved. Growing in the word of God. Learning how to teach yourself and learning how to teach others. Starting with your own family, your spouse, your husband your children, your grandchildren. Sanctified, setting your life apart in the church. You're going to be a living example of a set-apart life. Living your faith out in the church. Submitting your will. And that Ephesians 5.21 and following there, someone asked me about that in the lobby, about the following. That means the rest of those verses are, I just can't put it all in one sermon. But the idea was, it's submit yourself unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, submit yourself unto your husband. Submit yourself into uh, loving your wife. Submit yourself to your children. Submit to your children. Submit to your parents. The whole thing, submit yourself to your, your employer. It, the whole business of getting along with people and making life work is focused around submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a part of the whole package of, of coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. Submitting your will. The next one, enduring spirit. Enduring spirit the idea there between those, there's tons of these extra verses, but you could go through. But the idea is that you don't quit. You, you, you're going to suffer some things. You're going to have some hardship. There's going to be some pushback. There's going to be some jabs. You're going to take some hits. And let me, let me just tell you a little secret here. You're going to take some hits in the church. I don't know if you notice this now, but the people that come to church sometimes are just ornery little critters. That's not a, that shouldn't surprise you. And you know what? They're going to offend you. I get offended at the grocery store. I still go back. You can get offended at the hospital. I still go back. We're not perfect. We're, we're broken. We're cracked. We're weird out. We're strange. It's amazing that we can even get together as long as we do and make it work. 
But that's because the Lord Jesus Christ is making a little headway within us. A smudge in here and a smudge in there. But enduring spirit and a thankful attitude. That last one there, Philippians 2.5, kind of encompass everything. Have this attitude in you that was in Jesus Christ. Try that on. You get that together, you're going to have a sweet life. Guarantee it. Then this, 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 you know, well, read the Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's true. Go flip back to the next one. The, the, the one before that one. Those are, if, you're, if your desires are his desires, you can do anything you will to do. Because you'll be in God's will. The reason why we get the rubs on this what James is talking about, the reason we get the rubs is because we're not in God's will. We get so wrapped around the axle of the business dealings, and he says, you boast and brag. The boasting and the bragging is the issue, is you're not submitted to the Lord. There's not a humility like John the Baptist, and it's not going to happen because you're bucking, you're kicking against the goads of humbling yourself before God. And when you're bucking against each other at home, it's bucking against God because I can guarantee you without one ounce of counseling time with you, you've got a me problem. Because we all do. We just need to say, God, I just confess the truth. I'm wrapped around me. And what I want more than anything else Submitting to God will guard us from that pride. Another thing we can take home. We have a mission that we need to remember. A mission that we need to remember, that we're on mission. We have a purpose. We have a goal. We have something to accomplish in this world. James says, as you boast in arrogant schemes, such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is to them it is sin. If you don't get off the get off the bench and get in the game, you're not going to have the full enjoyment and get the full meal deal out of the walk with Jesus. You need to do that. You need to get up every week. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, folks. A church that grows has 60% of its people, I mean dynamic church has 60% plus of its people, engaged in a personal responsibility every week Functioning in the church. Say, Lord, I'm going about my business this week, but I'm mindful there's a piece of me that's all in doing something for you. Then he goes on to say, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So you come to salvation. You come to relationship with Christ. But you make every effort... The process is called is increasing measure that you may be able to be effective and unprod- so and, and ineffective and un- so you're, you're not uh, you are effective and you're productive you're not ineffective and unproductive you kind of don't think of your spiritual walk as sort of like a production line but it is it is you you need to be able to here am I you know take a picture then here am I five years from now spiritually here am I ten years from now spiritually I have these spiritual growth and capacities. Next slide. For therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living set, holy, pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform to 
the, any longer to the pattern of this world. And notice that Paul uses the word pattern of this world, and James says the friendship of this world. See the similarity there? A pattern is you get, you get in the mold of what this world says. But rather transform, changing how you think every year of your life for Christ. Next slide. Paul says in Corinthians, Paul says, I'm a found, I laid the, on the foundation layer of the, of the church, and he says, but each one should care how he builds. His work will be shown for what it, what it is, because the day will, will bring it to light. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. So in other words, everybody in this room is building his life spiritually. You're building your life, you're building your marriage, you're building life, you're, you're building the foundational blocks. You've got young children at home, you're putting the pieces together there. You're, what, you're building the, the foundational blocks to your neighbor, to your friends, to the people in this church. But he says, choose good stuff in your life. You can go to this town, that town, you can do business, you can make a profit, that's fine. But make sure you, as you do these and you do things of life, don't get caught up and putting things off in such a way that you forget you've got a spiritual life to grow and develop in. For your treasures, Jesus says, there your heart will be also. Very good. And then Matthew 20. Jesus, this, this is a long paragraph. Jesus says to a religious group of people that got doing a lot of things, but were not doing it from their heart. They were just doing the religious stuff. They were disconnecting. Do it. So when you do it from your heart. Faith in action guards us from procrastination. Do it. Don't presume on tomorrow. Submit your will. This is your shot. This is our shot. This is our time. He had a good friend that had a tough day ahead of him. And he thought he ought to stay pretty close to him. So when he went into the bedroom to do a hard job, he was with him. And he started to go through the drawers. And he found some tissue there with something wrapped inside of it. And as he pulled the tissue apart, there it was what he was looking for, a slip. But it was more than just a slip. It was a beautiful piece of silk with cobweb trimmings on it. It was almost lingerie. And he remembered that she bought it on a trip to New York for a special occasion. He took it out of the tissue and laid it on the end of the bed with the rest of her clothes that he was taking to the funeral home. He turned to his friend. She said it was for a special occasion. I never knew this would be the occasion.
Don't presume on the future. Use your gifts and your talents for Christ now. Find a ministry in this church now. Find your spot. Submit your will to him. Give your life to Christ. Humble your heart. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come and I'm going to play a song. Great is the Lord. And he is great. And I'm going to ask as we sing this together, this verses, these verses, five verses, are decision verses, folks. Maybe not decision verses to accept Jesus as Savior, which many of you already have. But if you haven't, this can happen now too. Don't put it off. But this is decision verse. About not just rubbing the talisman and saying, oh, the Lord wills, whatever. This is serious business here. This is eternity business. What are you doing for the Lord? Now.